0: Avengers Initiative WandaVision.
1: Welcome to the Avengers Initiative, WandaVision, a Papychularadio.com original series, Papychula Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, January 18th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on Disney Plus's WandaVision. Please welcome my co-hosts. Priscilla Rocha.
2: Hey, everybody.
1: And Professor X. Hello, everyone. All right, let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 1, which was uh, appropriately titled Episode 1 and debuted January 15th, 2021 via Disney+. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Wanda and Vision struggle to conceal their powers during dinner with Vision's boss and his wife. Alright, so as Wanda and Vision said in the episode, they are an unusual couple. This is going to be an unusual podcast, just because this is an unusual show, In essence, it's masquerading as a situation comedy. And we don't really cover sitcoms on Poppy Jewel Radio. A little BTS for the listeners. Uh, I have had co-hosts in the past, you know, uh, basically say, we should do this sitcom and i'm like it's a sitcom like what can really be discussed about a sitcom fortunately this isn't just a sitcom there's a an overall mystery behind it and there are sinister overtones to to the series which is going to be really interesting to discuss this is in essence although it wasn't going to be the mcu's first official Television series, because of COVID, it became the MCU's official uh, first-ever television series. Um, For those keeping tabs at home, Falcon and Winter Soldier was going to be the official first one. So, I feel like the best way to launch this episode, and it's going to be a question that I'm going to ask probably at the start of every episode that is going to have this sort of sitcom motif is... Are we fans of 1950s comedies, sitcoms? Are you a fan of the sitcoms from the 1950s? Uh, I'll start off with you, Priscilla.
2: I'd always heard of the Dick Van Dyke Show, but I'd never actually like gotten to see any episodes except maybe like a few in the span of my mind when I was like a real little kid. So I am really surrounded by much. children. <laughs> sorry I don't really remember much of the Dick Van Dyke show so this is just a surprise to me well that wasn't the only show from the 1950s though well it's what it was based off of well not completely
1: there was a little I love Lucy in it as well a little Donna Reed okay, I
2: love Lucy's more in my span uh, in my span okay. of my friends. yeah that's okay.
1: the 1950s yeah uh,
2: I'm...
0: I know.
1: okay I'm a huge I Love Lucy fan. I love I Love Lucy. I have all the seasons on DVD. I I watched them on TV as a teen, on Nick at Night, and that's where I was introduced to I Love Lucy. That's where I was also introduced to the Dick Van Dyke show. I also own the entire series on DVD, although I've rewatched I Love Lucy a whole lot more um, just because I love me some Lucille Ball. But uh, I I do enjoy sitcoms of the 50s. I am a classic TV fan, um, so... I you know growing up especially from Nick at night and TV land I, I did see a lot of series from before my time and uh, so so it was it I went into this with a lot of high hopes knowing of what they could potentially do with the material and, and the fact that they were um, creating an homage to uh,
3: 50s uh, TV series um, professor what about you Yeah, I agree uh, with what you said there, that it is an homage to you know it, it's not playing so much as a straight 1950s sitcom as playing off the tropes that we appreciate about the 1950s sitcom and you know uh the the scene you know in the opening where vision is walking along and there's an ottoman in front of him and he doesn't trip over it because he just you know phases through it that is an obvious um you know throwback to uh, the dick van dyke show um interestingly uh, i found out you know recently that uh you know kevin feige uh and uh the creator of the show met with dick van dyke Mm -hmm. who was you know was brought in as a consultant for the show Uh, and dick van dyke of course had no idea who they were or what the marvel cinematic universe was but still i suspect that was just a chance for kevin feige to meet dick van dyke which we would all do Uh, i do i kind of like those 1950s sitcoms it has to be said that when you're watching them now they're not Classically funny, you know, and and I think that this episodes sort are of plays off of that, you know, you know, when, you know, uh, Wanda is saying something or Vision is saying something and the laugh track reacts to it. They're not being really that funny. They're being like 1950s funny, which is not that funny by our contemporary standards. And I thought that was like a really smart choice by them. They're, they're absolutely playing it because, you know, I will talk more. I'm sure when we get into, you know, the mythology and the underlying elements of the show, these are people who love the Marvel universe, love the Marvel characters, but you know, I think they really do love those sitcoms as well. And they're, they're trying to present something that is not necessarily funny in a conventional sense, but would have been funny at the time. And I think they did a really good job of, uh, of of not only writing it, but also the way that Paul Bettany and uh, Elizabeth Olsen played it. They were playing it the way those people acted back in the 1950s and i'm sorry priscilla you you young people have no appreciation of uh, you know television back in the age but uh, you know it was a different <laughs> style of performance it's like you know watching movies from the 1920s or radio from the 1950s it was you know a different style of presentation it it was less naturalistic you know it was much more innocent that's not to say it was better or worse. It's just they did find a very good way of, of matching that. And, and I do think they, they did a very good job of uh, of doing, you know, again, get back Jeff's word. It was an homage. They weren't necessarily trying to do something that was exactly like that, but it was an appreciation of that. And, and I like that. I think they did a very good job of that. Yeah, even the speech pattern. I mean, they talked differently
1: in, in the '50s, and and I feel like they captured that as well. It, it was very kitschy, but in a very good way. Uh, I, I think sometimes um, kitsch can be a little over the top, and, and and they they found a way to play it straight, not be campy, uh, but really, you know, sort of, uh, you know, it just to create this sitcom world in the 1950s that uh, was almost in reverence to the great sitcoms of uh, the 1950s. So let's talk about the... Um, so there's a, there's an overt storyline, and then there's the covert storyline. Let's talk about the overt storyline, just the, the straightforward 1950s uh, clichés that we saw in... In the sitcom element of, of the series. In essence, it's a storyline that has been done so many times, and not just in the 50s. I feel like we, we see this on, on sitcoms nowadays. It's the trope of the boss coming over for dinner and, and you know the the uh, the couple not necessarily knowing knowing that it's something's happening but not necessarily knowing what that something is what do we think of the sitcom tropes that were employed in this episode professor
3: Oh, it was, you know, a trope of Belusa. It was really well done in terms of, you know, the misunderstandings and, you know, stuff that, you know, when you look back at those 1950 sitcoms, they're so unrealistic by contemporary standards. You know, the scene where, uh, you know, um, you know, Wanda walks in and puts her hands over uh, Vision's boss's face. How could you not know that wasn't your husband uh, or that there weren't more people in the room? Obviously, that would never happen. But in the 1950 sitcom, it did. You know, you mentioned I Love. Lucy, the, the absolute craziness that happened, that was accepted. It was a trope of the uh the the sitcoms of the day, these you know ridiculous situations. And everyone just accepted that because that's the way it was uh so i thought they did a really really good job of that and you know um even little things like you know the uh the fact that you know the uh, the heart on the calendar and, and neither of them could remember but neither would admit it that was you know it, it really did have the feel of a 1950 sitcom we talked earlier about the way it was written the way they delivered it um you know the actors uh did a great job of that but yeah the tropes of it were absolutely uh everything you would expect. But as we'll talk about later, there was that undercurrent, and I think they did a very nice job of, of balancing, you know, the uh, the overtone and the undertone. Yes, I agree. Uh,
1: for the listeners, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure you all know uh, since you watched the, the series, but they released the first two episodes on Disney Plus uh, on Friday, January 15th, and so we have seen both episodes. This episode will be specifically about the uh, episode one. And so, just don't worry in regards to um, you know us getting into discussion of uh, the second episode if you haven't list- if you haven't watched it. Uh, but what I thought was interesting about the fact that they did release both of the episodes is how this one really was the most setup episode out of both of them in regards to just setting us into this sitcom world. Because for the most part, what I liked about this episode which some people on the internet didn't like, was that they really played it straightforward as um, a sitcom. In essence, what they did was they introduced Wanda and Vision in this world, and uh, they played it straight for the most part. There were undercurrents, but it wasn't as much as, as the next episode, which was, I, I think, a, um, an important thing for them to do, because you have to establish the world First. Um, on the internet, there were many comments of people saying that it was boring. And I guess maybe if you weren't a fan of 1950s sitcoms, if you hadn't seen many or, or any, uh, I could kind of understand that because, uh, y- you don't have that sense of nostalgia, but, uh, from at least the comments that I've read of people that are aware and and, or fans of, uh, situation comedies from the fifties, and, you know, people seem to really dig it. Uh, Priscilla, what about you? What did you think of just the, the overall sitcom storyline and the tropes that were featured in uh, this episode?
2: I thought it was kitschy and really cute. I thought I thought the, the parts where she's like, I think the job is, the, 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 what we should be really doing is impressing the, 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 the wife. Well, I think we should be impressing the husband. Like, like, little lines like that were just romantic and cute and sweet. And I don't know, it just brought me back to watching I Love Lucy and seeing, like, cute scenes like that on TV in black and white in front of me. And it's just, it was, it was sweet. The whole thing about the the whole, the whole episode was just, I don't really think it delved too much into Marvel, which is probably why like a lot of people were just like, what the hell? Like, what are we watching? Why is this a sitcom? But it delved more into the characters if you looked at like certain signs like the wine bottle and stuff like that like yes that that's where you got signs of marvel
1: yeah i mean this series for those out there that maybe have seen this other series this is probably the weirdest series that marvel has done since legion and legion was was weird right priscilla yeah yeah, I was about
2: to say that. Was, is was
1: that... Legion technically a Marvel production? Uh, well, it was a Marvel production under Fox, which oh, okay. now Fox uh belongs to Disney, so it technically it is. <laughs> I was just thinking, because there were mutants involved, so. Yeah, although even they didn't really say that word on Legion, but yeah, um, yeah, I think. Uh, what was that show? The one that was on um. Because this one was on FX. Uh, what was the Fox one? The, the, that was the one where they t- said mutants. I don't even remember what that one was called. Well, nobody does apparently. But <laughs> there was another show where they used the word mutant, I think. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the whole aesthetic of the series, I mean, it was incredibly 50s. I mean, they went they, they even created a 1950s theme song. Uh, the, the aspect ratio of the screen was 1950s. I, I mean, it was, it was pan and scan. It was not like the widescreen, even the Marvel I was just logo. going to say
3: the, uh, the, you know, the shrinking down to the aspect ratio, but I just wanted to mention something that I'm afraid we won't mention. Yes. You know, sitting there when it came out hearing the Marvel studios theme, it's been like more than a year since we've heard that theme Yeah. Oh, my God. I just had this emotional, visceral reaction to hearing that theme and also watching it and seeing, you know, they've added some you know, scenes from uh, uh, from Endgame uh, to it. Oh, my God. I just had this. I I didn't understand how much I missed the Marvel Universe until that theme came on. I just went, oh, my God. So, you know, from that, whatever they did for the next 30 minutes, I was absolutely fine with. I was just so invested because you know marvel studios has built up that level of of trust and goodwill and you know we'll talk more about this you know and and i understand why some people thought it was you know slow or or weird or different but i think for the people for their target audience the people who are tuned in for this who would you know talk on a podcast about if you're that sort of weirdo um they've built up that level of trust and, uh, and and I think you know those of us who who, who trust the Marvel brand uh, will stick with it, even if you know the first episode wasn't everything that they wanted.
1: Yes, and speaking of the, the Marvel opening, I mean the fact that it, it started off in color and then it went into black and white, and then the that's when the aspect ratio sort of. Uh, changed uh it was and and also the audio changed i feel like it went from like dolby surround sound uh, to uh what was it what would it have been in the 1950s like uh like probably two
3: um no, single uh, channel Back single, then, oh, single single channel stereo single channel. and again that's the level of attention to detail you know uh the people you know uh who did this show are not just Huge fans of Marvel. They're huge fans of old TV. So you know the aspect ratio was right. You know the frame. The the sets looked absolutely correct. Uh, when Wanda was using her powers, you know it looked crappy. Why does Marvel not have the? energy or the money to do that no it's because this is meant to be a 1950s show it should look crappy because that's what the special effects would look like back in the 1950s so you know this was a conscious homage you know an attempt to present you know, for whatever reason, and I'm sure we'll get into that later in the episode, uh, for whatever reason, this is being presented as an accurate 1950s sitcom of these two characters dealing with their situation and everything about it. You know, the theme song, the uh, the lighting, you know, the framing, the 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 cheap and crappy sets, um, you know, all of it You know, was was just really done with with such love, not just for the characters and for the Marvel Universe, but for. Television in general, um, I think it was it was really you know done by people who are really really smart and putting in a lot more detail than I think uh, a lot of us realize.
1: Yes, uh, I will make a note for the listeners. Uh, Wanda's powers were done via what they how they did them in, in the fifties. It was uh, you know things on wires and, and and that sort of thing. And I will also mention this to to the listeners as well. Of uh, this first episode was the only episode filmed in front of a live studio audience. So they really went like full bore with, uh, you know, trying to make this as authentic an experience as possible, as authentic an experience as possible for a sitcom in the 1950s. Yes, and uh, I'll also make a little note, just because uh, I I don't want to forget this, as we talked about the opening uh, credits and and the theme and that sort of thing. uh, Props to the person that created the end credits as well, because we got, in essence, uh, a theatrical Marvel-quality experience with the end credits as well. So uh, props to just the the VFX people, the graphics people, and, and all that kind
3: of stuff. So... Yes, Professor. And I think the theme was written by the uh the husband and wife team that did Frozen. Oh, very interesting. I, I thought I recognized the names at the end. Oh, okay. Very cool. Alright, so
1: Wanda and Vision, starring in WandaVision. Let's talk about our Marvel characters in this sitcom world and how they adapted these characters to fit into the sitcom world. What did you think of Wanda and Vision as characters on uh, this show, Uh, Priscilla?
2: (laughs) I think it was really cute how, how they matched together as a couple, how you they gave Vision kind of a personality something that he never really had in the movies i feel and they gave wanda a lot more do you feel like does anyone else feel that she was like a lot more americanized in this one like they actually gave her an american accent which is weird to me because she's slowly
1: been americanizing um she had the thicker sokovian accent in uh ultron and then what was the next one? Civil War, she had just more of like a, a tinge of the accent. And then I feel like in Endgame, Infinity War and Endgame, she no longer had the accent. But even with no longer having the accent, I feel like um, the voice that they gave her was very much a 1950s actor type of voice like so it was she was really enunciating and she was very cheery and peppy what you would typically think of a housewife character from the 1950s
2: they made her the American which is super weird because like there's a line where she where they're like my European wife yeah my and my American husband and he's speaking with a European accent and she's speaking with an american accent but i was like wait isn't that just turned around wait what but i love i love little little tiny like things like that what are just what marvel does to make things perfect in their in their series and i think this sitcom just like i don't know it just brought out personality in both of them that i i thought were just kind of flat characters before.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's clearly a different Wanda and a different vision. You called them flat characters. How dare you? Maybe it's because I, I rewatched some of their Marvel stuff bef- before. Um, the
2: only thing that um, I, that, that I like liked was that scene where she, where she was just kind of like, you took everything from me and he, and Ultron's like, I don't even know who you are. Like,
1: oh, yeah, that that was good.
2: Gave personality to them, but like most of the time, they were just, why were they in love? Because he made a suit for her? Like, it was just, they they didn't really get much background because they were background characters in Marvel.
1: No, I don't disagree with you on that. Um, I'm, they're a little bit more fresh in my mind because I, I went into like a Marvel rabbit hole on Disney Plus. I didn't even go in any type of specific order. Like it was like one day I watched Infinity War and then Endgame, and then because I saw Captain Marvel, I was like, "Well, let me watch Captain Marvel." And then because I had seen Spider Man, I was like, "Well, let me watch Far From Home." And then you know, and then I i do don't—I just got into like this deep wormhole. I was watching Ant Man and the Wasp and Civil War, and then all of a sudden, I found myself watching Age of Ultron. And and so I've seen a lot of Wanda and Vision on the screen together. Oddly enough, just for the listeners. Age of Ultron is a ridiculously important movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Much more important than we knew when Age of Ultron originally came out. If you haven't seen Age of Ultron in a while, go back and watch Age of Ultron and see how they planted seeds for like every fucking thing that happened afterwards. It's, it's kind of crazy, and I don't think
3: we knew this at the time that we were watching Age of Ultron. Oddly enough, the day that and I watched it. Interestingly, that, that was a, a, a point of conflict between Joss Whedon, the director, and Kevin Feige because Feige was trying to plant all of these Easter eggs that would lead to the future, and Joss Whedon was just trying to do that movie.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that fascinating. Oddly enough, the day that I watched Age of Ultron, it was trending on Twitter. And so I guess a lot of people, it was like a week before WandaVision came out, so a lot of people were revisiting it, maybe because of WandaVision. Uh, so so I have them a little bit fresher in my mind, Priscilla. So for me, like, I I'm remembering all these scenes because I had just watched them, like, maybe ten days ago. So, uh, I, they they are, in essence, tertiary characters in the MCU universe, which is one of the reasons why they got a series, so that they can Expand on them a little bit more. I do agree with you. the The romance kind of came out of nowhere, but I I like their chemistry, so I kind of went with it. and And this sitcom giving them this sort of like hyper idealized versions of themselves made them made the romance much more real. It's kind of like we're getting the chance to see some of the romance that we didn't get the chance to see on the big screen. Professor, what about you? What are your thoughts on Wanda and Vision stuck in the sitcom world?
3: Well, part of the reason why you know, Wanda and Vision are a couple, I admit, you know, if you watch the uh the movies, it does feel a little forced. The reason they do it is because it's comics accurate. Um and in the comics Wanda and Vision you know, did develop a relationship, uh, married, had children. It's complicated. Don't think too much about it. We might talk about that as we go through the series, um, uh, you know, he, he was, you know, anyway, I he's a toaster to the, the weeds of uh, Marvel Comics history. But the, the reason for that is, is partially fan service, mainly fan service, because, again, if you watch, you know, the the uh, the movies, there's no reason for it aside from the fact that it happened in the comics where they had a lot more time uh, to deal with that. He does end up saving um, her,
1: I will say, um, in Age of Ultron. So I think that's where the connection started.
3: He goes back and yeah, rescues her. I think the reason they did the connection was because it exists in the comics.
1: No, no, no. I'm not that. disagreeing. You. Was, yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing that, with that. I'm just yeah. saying where the connection sort of started in the MCU.
3: Yeah, and and by the way, I you know they they were really good. And by the time you reached Infinity War, um, I think that you know they they'd established a relationship between the two. And it, most of it happened off screen, uh, admittedly. Um, you know, they, they were sort of, they, they were planting the seeds of it at, you know, back in civil war and stuff like that. But, uh, by the time they reached infinity war, I think they had established the idea that there was a relationship, a real relationship, you know, between the two characters and the two actors. Um, but you know, obviously most of it had to happen off screen. Um, uh, sorry, I've, I've forgotten where we were. What was the question again? Just
1: Jeff? one Vision in general in the sitcom world
3: um You know it, it's kind of interesting because when you look at uh, again, we talked about the the tropes of the sitcom world. It was you know everyone was all the characters. If you look back, you know at those characters in the 1950s, they were very two dimensional. So I don't think it's that much of a, a stretch to deal with the the Vision and Scarlet Witch uh, as we knew of them. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that one to ever actually became the Scarlet Witch, uh, but uh, I don't think it's that much of a stretch to, to deal with characters, you know, in, uh, the Marvel cinematic universe, as we knew them, um, you know, to deal with them in this 95th context. I think it, it works pretty well, probably better than it would for a lot of other characters. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really kind of interesting, you know, when you take these, uh, these characters, um, uh, one thing I, I thought of when I was watching the show is, and, and you know, when we're talking about, you know, our ratings for the show, uh, I think we have to differentiate between our ratings between if you are a Marvel zombie, someone like Jeff, who, you know, apparently watched the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, over a weekend. And know, imagine if right? You were someone who was just tuning into Disney Plus and watching the series with no knowledge of who these characters were or their backstory was. This show would have meant nothing to you. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think you know the uh, you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe has has basically been reaching out and and bringing in the largest you know the widest tent possible. Um, I don't know if they have to do that always. I think because we have this expectation, this understanding of the characters, this understanding of their past, and to a lesser extent, the understanding uh, you know of the the Marvel Universe. I don't know that it's as necessary that, uh, you know, you, you make it, you know, I don't want to say completely accessible, but I do think there's a, a very big difference between how you or Priscilla or I would have watched this episode and how someone who had never watched the Marvel Universe, imagine if my mom had watched this episode on Disney+, Plus, she would have gotten so little, so she would have had no understanding uh, about the larger context. How well would that? episode have worked as just a 1950 sitcom i don't know but uh it's it's kind of interesting because it does seem to me that you know now that they're on disney plus you know they're basically in you know an uh, enclosed environment a a, a closed garden I, I don't know if they're going to be reaching out to the wider audience as much as they did in the past
1: yeah i don't disagree with you on that i, I think Clearly, the show was made for the MCU nerd, for the MCU fanatics, people that you know invested, you know, a decade of their lives going to the movies and watching the Infinity Saga on uh, the big screen. You know, they they went through three phases of Marvel productions. Uh, technically, now we're at the start of Phase Four, so I, I do wonder if. Either a casual Marvel fan, you know, someone that has seen some of the movies, but not all of the movies, or a non-Marvel watcher would even be interested in, in watching this. And if you're a non-Marvel watcher, I don't know if this is a good primer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I you know. have to watch well, at, at least the Avengers, one of them, to like understand anything. Priscilla? They
2: have, they have the catch-up. Um... Show legends. For they you to do. Watch. Yes, just that is true. Case, just in case you didn't, you had no clue about any of these characters. They they had the legends show so you could kind of buff up your knowledge on everything, and it gave you basically everything you needed to know to understand Wandavision. So, All right,
1: you watched it, I Priscilla. Like
2: they're giving everyone a chance to understand WandaVision without having to go through all of the movies.
1: Okay. You watched it Priscilla? Mm-hmm. Okay. See look, Priscilla was poking around Disney Plus too, Professor. I'm just saying.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I like Priscilla, it. did you watch the
1: entire MCU oh my catalog? God. I did not watch the entire MCU. Just I
2: just watched the a bunch of stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Alright, so We've talked about Wanda and Vision, let's talk about Agnes, our nosy neighbor, played by Catherine Hahn, and uh, can I just say, I don't think I've really ever seen Katherine Hahn in anything outside of the M. Night Shyamalan horror movie, which is sort of like a comedic horror movie called The Visit, which... TBH is actually really good. If you've never seen it, I will not even say anything about it because anything would spoil it. But it is actually a well-done, creepy, and unsettling movie. Um, I don't think I've seen her in anything outside of that. But I've seen her in interviews, and I've always liked her. Like I, She has a great personality. She's a really great interview person. So when she was announced that she would be the nosy neighbor, uh, I was here for it. And when I saw her in this episode, I was like, this lady's having so much fun because she has committed to the bits and she has committed like tenfold. And I found myself loving Agnes so much. Professor, I feel like you have something to say.
3: Oh, I have so many things to say. First off, um, you apparently have to go back and watch a little show called Parks and Recreation. OK, was she like on it on it or did she do like a? she was arc? on Parks and Recreation uh, in the last two or three seasons playing this absolutely spectacularly funny, smart character? Catherine Hahn is, uh, a, you know, an absolute goddamn natural treasure. She is smart. She is funny. She is so in control. And as soon as I said she was playing some character in this episode, I thought she's either going to be, you know, an absolute good character or perhaps you know, contrasting what everyone is saying. I think if I was casting Catherine Hahn, she would be playing the secret big bad. I I'm not sure based on this episode. I don't know for sure. She is obviously, you know, not just a wacky neighbor. She is more aware. Uh, I think that scene with her and Wanda in the kitchen indicates that she is, you know, not one of the incidental characters like the other ones, like the boss and his wife. She is, is much more of an incident, much more of a, uh, um, oh, what am I thinking of? The uh, she is much more of a character with agency. She is doing things in the episode rather than having things done to her. But yeah, no, Catherine Hahn is just you know an absolute national treasure, and uh, she is so so good. And uh, I loved her in this uh, this episode. Um, you know, I hope we see more of her going forward because I do think she is an absolutely tremendous character. I know a lot of people were talking online about the fact that her name is Agnes, and there is a mm-hmm. character in the Marvel comics called um, Agatha Harkness. Harkness. So they're arguing, you know, this could be Agatha Harkness. If that's true. Awesome. Because Agatha Harkness is a tremendous character. Um, I don't know. We didn't have anything in this episode to suggest that it's just, you know, um, and, you know, later on, when I go into my uh, in-depth deconstruction of 30 (laughs) seconds of the episode, I will talk about, you know, the way we are reading so much into the episode, just because someone's name is Agnes doesn't mean they're Agatha but uh, if she is awesome, and you know, the more we get of Catherine Hahn, the better. She is just such a smart and and funny actress. Okay, nice. Kudos
1: to to uh, to Agnes. So so far, and Priscilla? go
3: watch Parks and Rec before we do our next podcast. All right. I know, yeah. right?
1: I need to, that. That's on my list. Uh, Priscilla, what about you? What'd you think of uh, Agnes?
2: Yeah, I I was about to say I loved her in Parks and Rec. I loved her in Bad Moms. She is amazing. I love this actress so much. So when I heard that she was going to be on WandaVision, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a good show. They're already getting good characters. They're already getting a good cast together. And of course, like, she's so sassy, and she always plays the lush, she always plays the person that's like, I love the alcohol, and the alcohol loves me, (laughs) she's just so sassy, I love her, I love her to death, and I don't know, something about her, just, as the nosy neighbor, just was funny as hell, where she's like, I love, like, my mother-in-law was in town so I wasn't here like little lines like that kind of like enchant me to her she is obviously like no surprise here is my favorite character of the episode like I loved her she brought life to this episode and her saving the dinner with all of her stuff and her pineapple in the end being like no salesman sorry like logging her out of the door was just perfect and just I don't know I love her to death she's great I hope that she's Agatha but if she isn't I'm I accept her with what, with whatever she is, even if she is just a hapless victim in this whole Wandavision scheme of things.
1: All right, I like it. Uh, with uh, with uh, Agnes, we got two classic sitcom tropes: the nosy neighbor, uh, a la, uh, oh gosh, what was uh, Agnes? Wait, was it Agnes Kravitz? No, the Kravitz lady. Was her name Agnes? No, I don't think it was. Well, Mrs. Kravitz from from Bewitched. I think it's Lenny is the name you're looking no, for. No, Lenny Kravitz from Bewitched, yes.
2: <laughs> um,
1: yeah, but, but the Kravitz woman from Bewitched it, 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 and... Ethel? No. Hmm? No, Ethel. No,
2: that's, that's, that's Lucy.
1: Yeah. Uh, although Bewitched is a, is a 60s uh, sitcom. But we there was a lot of Bewitched in this uh, with the whole, you know, let's, you know, we're a strange couple. Let's not let them, you know, know that we're strange in essence. Uh, And also the uh, the spouse that is never seen. We've seen that as a sitcom trope before uh, because she has her husband, Ralph, who is not seen.
3: I did wonder about that because they they made a point of referencing him twice in the episode. Um, The first time, uh, you know, when she was uh, talking with Wanda about, oh, his birthday would have to be, you know, uh, know, the only way he remember our anniversary if is if is if is if. there was a uh, beer called June 4th. And then later, you know, he, you know, when she was bringing in the food, talking about the only thing he wants to eat is baked beans. And, you know, to hit that point twice, it could just be a callback to uh, the tropes of a 1950s sitcom, or maybe there's something more to this, Ralph. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't disagree with you. So before we start breaking down... Some of the unusual parts of the episode, let's talk about that commercial, as if that wasn't unusual enough. So, uh, you know, they are sticking to the sitcom trope on One Vision, and they're including uh, commercials uh, about uh, halfway through the episodes. And uh, for episode one, the very first commercial that we see in this 1950s-infused uh, uh, episode of *WandaVision*, it's an advertisement for Stark Industries ToastMate 2000 toaster oven. Now, um, based off of this uh, commercial, it seems as if uh, we're uh, we're being triggered by uh, uh, Wanda and and, and Wanda's history. Uh, Wanda, when we were introduced to her in Age of Ultron, uh, she was uh, very anti-Stark, anti-Tony Stark, because a uh, missile... a Stark missile crashed into her own, her home and her and her twin, Pietro, were sort of like stuck in the rubble. And all they could see was the Stark missile. And they were there for a couple of days worried that it was going to explode. And that's where, you know, her uh, vengeance against Stark started. And that's how we were introduced to her. So when we see the commercial... Something odd happens. Uh, we, we have the toaster sort of like beeping. Uh, the, the beeping starts to increase. The actors look a little worried for a moment. And even the lights on the toaster oven, which this is a black and white show. So everything was in black and white. So the, the light sort of flashed white. Um, that turned into a red color. And that uh, was one of the instances in which we started to notice not everything is as it seems. So what did we think of the commercial? What do we think of how the, the commercial was weaved into the story? Uh, did you all get sort of like the same sort of thing that I did in regards to maybe what the commercial means in, in the grander scheme of thing? Or do you all have your own theory as to what the commercial meant? I'll open it up to the floor.
2: I thought it had something to do with Ultron because it kind of like the, the, the toaster kind of looked like how Ultron was shaped. But I totally missed the whole missile thing because I haven't seen Ultron in such a dang long time that I forgot about their backstory. It's
1: one of the most so, important movies in the MCU, Priscilla. You heard it here first.
2: <laughs> oh, so that that bit was just whoosh over my head. Uh, all I remember was her hating Stark and Ultron, so that that those two combined together, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's what it meant." It's just her backstory. So that's all. That's all I got from the commercial. I didn't get the missile at all,
3: Professor. Well, sit back, Priscilla and Jeff, because this is going to get a little long. Uh, when I first watched the uh, uh, the commercial, the, the first thing I, I spotted was that, you know, um, there's the opening, you see the toaster, she pushes it down. And then when they come out of going to, you know, the cherry pie and, uh, uh, and all, the meatloaf, the cherry pie and uh, the open face sandwiches, I noticed that, you know, the red, the light on it was now red and it hadn't been before. And prior to the very end of the episode, when you cut away to wherever you're looking at it, The entire episode was in black and white. You know, this was the first flash of color in the entire episode. Um, uh, The other thing that struck me, you know, was that, you know, when the woman pressed down the uh, uh, the toaster to uh, to do the toasting, the sound that you hear is the sound of Iron Man's repulsors firing up. Oh, now, yeah. Well, brace yourself. Believe me, we are nowhere near where I'm going to go. So many people are weighing in on every element of uh, WandaVision. Um, you know, what does this number mean? What does that mean? What does this label mean? So I decided to go back and analyze the commercial in forensic detail. Brace yourself. This is going to get weird. Oh, so I we sitting down. out. The guy walks in. Uh, he's got the the burned toast in front of him. If you look on the wall behind him above him in the corner, you see a cuckoo clock, which is at six o'clock. But to the other side, you see a rooster above him, and then a strange shape, which can only be described as a cock and ball. So you have the guy standing there, and on one side is a clock set to six o'clock, which is a straight line, and on the other side, a rooster, which is a cock, and underneath it and a, I swear to you, go back and look at it. It is a cock and balls. <laughs> then he walks off to the side as he's walking towards the woman standing by the toaster. The weird thing is behind him at the beginning of the move is a pattern wallpaper, which is basically the sort of thing you would see in a uh, an American kitchen in the 1950s. It, it is basically, you know, the sort of, you know, uh, food and stuff like that. As he moves, the wallpaper begins to dissolve. It, it is no longer sharp. It is no longer clear. And as he moves over, it becomes completely blurred out. The only thing you can make out of it are basically diamond shapes, very vague diamond shapes. As he moves towards the woman, um uh, you know, the uh, there is a clock behind the woman, which also has diamond shapes on it, but the diamond shapes are on the uh the 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, not the 6 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 No a diamond on the six. What does it mean? I don't know. But the clock is not set to six o'clock as the previous clock was. It is set to twelve o'clock. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm just pointing out if you want to go into the forensic detail, here's what it all means. Mm -hmm. Uh, the basic background shape is blurred out but it is diamonds not the scene before as i said when she pushes down the uh uh the the toaster you hear you clearly hear uh iron man's repulsors firing up um then you know they cut away to that when they cut back to it when they're waiting for the toast pop up there is a long awkward pause as both she and the man are clearly disturbed by the fact that the toast is not popping up yet what is happening What does it all mean? I don't know, but that is what you get when you analyze even 30 seconds of this show in forensic detail. Does any of it mean anything? I don't know that was fascinating that was a little pornographic but enjoyable nonetheless. you know what i did not put the cock and balls on the wall they did oh also there yeah. were three lighting i completely forgot about this there were three lights on the wall once he moves across to the blurred background there are three lights on the wall none of them match there is no reason in any kitchen for there to be those three lighting uh elements to be hanging there does it mean anything i don't know i'm just saying if you want to analyze this stuff to that level of detail knock yourself out and by the way you know when the series wraps up and we look back and go oh my god that was all saying something i'll be saying oh i said yeah you know remember those three lights that's exactly what i was talking about that is wanda and her two kids there you go i hope that we get analysis like this for every commercial because that was i brilliant i don't know if that is possible because i don't know what the commercials will be but i will i promise you i will try I love it.
1: Um, I do think their unease is when uh, the light beeps
3: the, the, and the noise sort of accelerates. Um, well, and that's the sort yeah. of classic noise that we have, you know, when a bomb is going to go off, right? Exactly. Because it's beeping faster, the light is flashing faster, and, you know, they're having that uneasy sense of, uh, what is going to happen here? Correct.
1: And uh, speaking of that sense of unease, we did get that a couple times in this episode, Uh which you know it it kind of i don't know what we're gonna call that it, is it uh our characters uh breaking free or something like that and and realizing things are off but we did get we did get that a couple of times and especially with wand and vision at the dinner table um yeah and and uh, do we want to talk about that now yeah let's talk about that now so Wanda, in essence, spaces out, I guess that's the, the the best way to describe it, at the dinner table. Um, she's being, or they're being, sort of... Um just uh, uh, berated with questions, but the normal type of questions and very much, in, in essence, sitcom-y type of questions, you know, uh, especially at the, the the speed in which they were coming, uh, you know, with the boss sort of asking, so where are you guys from? What are you guys doing? What's your story? What's, you know, what's your song? When did you get married? And all that kind of stuff. Like, the typical type of questions just, you know, sort of said in a rapid-fire kind of way to elicit comedy, as you would in a sitcom. But Wanda spaces out then uh, the uh, Vision's boss starts to choke. Vision looks uneasy. Uh, it starts comedically, you know, with with the, the the wife saying, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" And then it starts to turn menacing. The music goes from sitcom whimsy to dread. And, uh, and and Wanda is sort of uh, snapped out a little bit, and she says, Vision, help him. And Vision does, and we see a strawberry, which was, um, in essence, a, a callback to something that we saw earlier in the scene, because that was, in essence, what Wanda uh, had f- made for dinner for Vision and, and, and her anniversary, or their quote-unquote anniversary. Um, What did we think of this? It was incredibly weird. It it veered from Dick Van Dyke to the Twilight Zone in the span of, like, 45 seconds. What did we think of this? Theories? Ideas? uh, Did we like it?
2: It turned into David Lynch. What the hell? It was David
1: Lynch, yes.
2: (laughs) It was so weird. Like her just saying stop it stop it and i don't know it this goes into my theory crafting okay but her, her saying stop it makes me feel like they're in some sort of like trap like everybody's in some sort of like trap and her saying stop it was like kind of pleading for wanda to kind of like snap out of it and to help them break free from this like sitcom hell finally but Wanda didn't seem to break free from her dream phase and she still just kind of like she saved him but she didn't really save everyone by getting them the hell out of there she
1: zoned out like I was focused on Wanda throughout that whole time at the table and she zoned out for a while um, before the Stop It, which was interesting, because I was like, is she trying to break free from whatever is going on? We are going to theorize in a moment. Um, that's, in essence, my next question. But, a Professor, specifically about what happened at the dinner table, what did you think as you watched it?
3: Well... You know, up to that point, they'd really played it straight as the 1950s sitcom. Um, You know, there are a couple of little elements, you know, Vision trying to figure out what does the company do. Uh, You know, he did that a couple of times. But up to that point, it was really played straight. Uh, That was the moment where we took the hard turn into realizing, oh, wait, this is a Marvel Cinematic Universe property because there is much more going on here than we thought i agree with you i thought that uh you know wanda was uh distracted and staring off in space you know before it happened um like you i spotted the, the fact that what he was choking on was the chocolate covered strawberry the one element of real food that was in the kitchen prior to everything happening um which i don't think is uh is uh, insignificant The other thing that I, and, and, you know, as Priscilla was saying, the fact that uh, his wife was going, you know, stop it, stop it, stop, just the, the, you know, the the routine, stop it. As you say, the music changed, the tone changed, everything changed. But then Vision was just sitting there. It wasn't until Wanda told him, save him, that, that Vision did anything. Now, Vision... The character that we've known, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe would have saved that person before he couldn't do it. And if you look at him, he's sitting there squirming uncomfortably, which, you know, and again, we're going to talk about this in a moment. To what extent does he have control? To what extent does he have agency or to what extent is he being controlled, uh, you know, by Wanda you know, in this, uh, this situation, I don't know, but that was the moment where the whole show changed, you know, right up to that point, it was just, you know, this is a fun, silly homage to 1950 sitcoms. Ha ha. Let's all have fun. Suddenly. Oh, it's gotten dark. It got very dark for a few seconds. And then suddenly the husband's okay. The wife does a little joke about, you know, the Sokovian reference. There's the, uh, the lobster on the door. Is the little callback, they're sitting on the couch, you know, they, they turn the TV off. So, you know, it, it's it's like you know, if this is a 30, 30 minute episode, it's twenty five minutes of uh, of nineteen fifty sitcom, two minutes of what the fuck is going on here, and then three minutes of nineteen fifty sitcom. You know, it, and it's a very confident gesture by the the creators of the show to say we're just going to play it absolutely straight, absolutely straight, absolutely straight. Oh, here's the twist you were waiting for, and now absolutely straight again. And I really liked it. I thought it worked very well. Again. If you're a fan of the Marvel Universe, if you're not a fan of the Marvel Universe, you would have been watching this going, what the hell is going on here? Ain't that the truth. Two little things to note as
1: well. So, uh, Wanda, throughout the entire episode as we've sort of uh, been talking uh, about, uh, her dialect is very 1950s as she's talking. When she says, Vision, help him, that's like her voice. That's like the Wanda that we know from the movies, so it was no longer like the happy, peppy, cheery Wanda. So that's, that's one thing to note, because if we're talking about the tones and the shift, uh, that's something noteworthy. The other thing that was noteworthy is that once Vision saves him, and, and we should say that throughout the entire episode, Vision and Wanda are making sure that these people aren't seeing that they have these superpowers. Vision, you know, phases through the guy's, you know, throat and pulls out the strawberry. Clearly in, in, in their line of sight. Um, both of the hearts act as if nothing happened and they don't even they don't address anything they just continue on in essence with the sitcom so i just wanted to make a little note of that as well uh and another thing that i want to make note of is something that you mentioned the professor and it's something that i wanted to mention as well i feel like vision's job is going to be important in the series the fact that they're collecting data and analyzing it but they have no but vision has no idea what the data is and the fact that he's doing it at a faster rate than ever before i kind of feel like that's going to be important for whatever reason if there is a big bad i feel like that is involved with
3: the big bad so yeah, I think it makes sense because they did mention it twice in the episode. Now it could just have been done for comic purposes, but it does seem to me that there's, you know, something going on here in terms of, you know, uh yeah, amassing data for some reason or for some purpose that uh that neither we nor vision nor uh Wanda understand. Yes. Uh, also another little note, and this is going back
1: to the commercial, uh, apparently in the comics uh uh Wanda
3: called Vision a toaster at some point, or she does a bunch Everyone of Everyone called him a toaster. It okay. was a uh, dismissive, dismissive term for any artificial intelligence. Yes, so the
1: fact that she that it was a toaster that we saw has a little bit of a significance when it comes to that. So, let's... Well, I guess before we get into theories, I should mention the final thing that we see in, in the episode. So... The episode ends, we are an unusual couple, we don't have an anniversary, we don't have a wedding date, we don't even have rings, well we can fix that can't we? They get rings, and they, they turn on the TV, and we see them smile, their faces uh, get um, sort of, uh, they're in like a hexagon, and we have a, a similar background almost to I Love Lucy, and the show ends. And we see the credits rolling and everything, and then we see someone is watching them, and they're taking notes, and uh, they are. We see uh, the sword logo, um, and uh, it looks like Sword, the uh, government uh, intelligence agency from uh, the Marvel universe is watching them and keeping tabs on them. S.W.O.R.D. stands for the Sentient World Observation Response Department, at least in the comics. Apparently in the MCU, now that S.W.O.R.D. is being introduced, their um, um, uh, acronym is uh, for the Sentient Weapon Observation Response Department so take that to mean whatever you want it to mean so let's theorize what the fuck is going on (laughs) y'all what is going on what do you think is going on based off of this very first episode what in the world is going on is Wanda behind this is someone else behind this what the hell is going on y'all who wants to go first
3: I will. um, we don't know, and I think that's that's you know uh, an indication of you know, very confident storytelling, you know, from the uh, the creators. Uh, again, they're not doing this for a mass audience. My mom isn't watching this. My sister isn't watching this. You, and I and Priscilla are watching this because, you know, we're the I, only ones watching I it. like the Marvel Universe and you're a, a hopeless Marvel zombie, apparently. <laughs> um, so we appreciate that. And we're looking for these little details and stuff like that. So to have the show end and then to pull back and and, you know, it's not just we pull back. It's that we pull back from a black and white screen and suddenly the rest of the area is in color. So we really that the ratio changes as well. Yeah. And yeah, and again, what a clever story, you know, clever visual storytelling. You know, we all intuitively understand what's going on just by that, that move. And that it raises questions. Who is the person who is watching? Who is sword? What is going on? You know, what is going on within the show? We don't really have enough to, to judge on that going forward. You know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, perhaps Wanda is being trapped somewhere, or perhaps Wanda is voluntarily trapped or she has locked herself off somewhere we don't know what's going on but i think it's a very clever way to end the episode and if they hadn't ended this way i don't know there would have been as much interest in watching the second episode but because they did that there's a clear sense of wait something bad is being done to an avenger so i think we have to watch the next episode to find out so i think that was a very clever way to do it and emphasize the fact that whatever is happening to to wanda and vision it's I don't want to say not of our world, but it's, you know, locked away in some strange way that we can't understand at this point. So I think it gives us a a very good reason to keep watching.
1: All right. So no theories from the professor is basically what he's saying. But
3: uh, We don't don't know enough. We honestly, on Mm -hmm. the base of this episode, we don't have anything to base a, a, a theory on. Aside okay. from my incredibly intensive interpretation of that commercial. Well, yes. And that will live on in podcast history, which was.
1: was and balls. Yes, that too. Priscilla, what about you? After this episode, the very first episode, just the first episode, was there anything that where you were like, I, hmm.
2: I think the only thing that's giving me a hint as to what is up is the fact that Vision's alive. And the fact that S.W.O.R.D.'s watching them. So I'm thinking that maybe Wanda's creating this world to make Vision come to life again. That she's using whatever husk was left over from Wakanda. Plus what magic she has to bring him back to life. And it's reacting to like all the neighbors and the people around her. Like negatively to create this sort of like sitcom fictional world.
3: Okay. Following up on that, if if your argument is that this is you know uh, the Scarlet Witch creating a new reality, very early in the episode when uh, Vision walks into the kitchen and gets hit in the head with a plate, what does Wanda say? My husband with the indestructible head. So oh, that could totally play off the fact that you know in. Uh, you know, uh, Infinity War. You know, Vision died because his head was destroyed. So maybe that could be seen as as reinforcing that.
1: It's interesting. I, I'm enjoying all of this. Um, I believe in the comics there is a sort of like a gray Vision, right?
3: yes okay Okay. here's the deal okay Uh, the vision was originally created by ultron uh he turned against ultron and was deactivated he was reactivated with the brain patterns of uh simon williams who was power man who also turned against ultron yada 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 eventually um uh simon williams's uh brain patterns were taking out of vision at which point the vision uh became a gray uh, entity with no emotions or whatever but by that point he and the scarlet witch already had a relationship which led the scarlet witch to ha- establish a relationship with simon williams and uh it, it just became basically a soap opera but uh yeah that is the uh, the underlying basis of the vision and and you know when we go from the black and white uh, you know, vision, the Scarlet Witch, um, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the idea of, uh, you know, at the end of, uh, of Infinity War, when the when vision basically had all the color stripped away from him, um, you know, uh, my first thought was, oh, this is going to be the emotionless vision that has no relationship with the Scarlet Witch. They didn't pursue that in the, uh, the movies, but it, it is certainly something that is, this comics accurate. Okay, Interesting. So,
1: I do agree with the professor in the sense that, like, we have no idea what the hell is going on. Um, As far as just general theories, I I do sort of, uh, like, I have thought about what Priscilla has said. Like, this could be that she's created, in essence, a pocket dimension to cope with the loss of vision. I, I do think, out of anything, you know, not even, not even thinking about big bads or anything like that. I do think what we will be seeing over the course of this, um, series is, is in essence, Wanda having to cope with Vision's loss. I mean, she lost her brother, then she lost this man that she loved. I think throughout these episodes, we will be seeing their love. So we'll, better understand why Wanda is is shaken by it and I think she's gonna have to come to terms with it at least that's my hope I mean they could go another route where she just loses her mind and I think that would be kind of comic book uh, accurate as well so we'll have to wait and see um, but I've I've like gone back and forth and I'm like is she doing this herself is she doing this um, herself? and a big bad is taking advantage of the fact that she's doing this so so this big bad has in essence snuck in and is is using this world to their advantage is is wanda being held captive and the big bad is using wanda to do something but wanda has in essence created this world as a protection so the big bad doesn't get what they want I guess basically what I'm saying is anything is possible. Um, they are an unusual couple. Uh, I keep on repeating that because I don't know if any of you saw the, saw the promos for the show, but they would always repeat the unusual couple thing for for a bunch of the trailers. Um, but other than that, I like I really can't think of of what it could be. Um, yeah, like I've seen names for potential big bads. But they're all like comic book people that I have no idea who they are, so I don't want to drop the names just yet. Um, but
3: they aren't because, in essence, they aren't my theories of the names. Um, yeah. Based on this episode, I don't think there's any reason to assume there is a big bad. I mean, it just seems True. that you know, as you said, Wanda has gone through a tremendous amount of trauma, losing her family, losing um, her brother. Uh, you know, becoming uh, an Avenger, becoming an outlaw losing vision you know the one person she'd come to love and someone with tremendous you know power i mean she was basically going to kill thanos uh you know before he stopped her by uh, by bombing the planet you know this is someone with indeterminate powers um i think you know all we saw in this episode would lead us to believe that this is basically someone with incredible power creating a pocket of blissful you know you know if we'd seen you know that uh you know wanda growing up was watching 1950s american sitcoms or something like that then i would think it's it's entirely reasonable that this is this would be her happy place you know she's creating uh you know a reality where she's happy and everything is as it should be um but yeah i don't think there's anything in the episode to suggest that they're is a big bad and and maybe you know because this is a new type of marvel storytelling there won't be a big bad um mm-hmm. and and you know again we're sort of looking at this from the point of view of you know you know uh marvel shows and and dc tv this is a new thing uh maybe this is just you know A character study trying to deal with. Yeah, a a character study, uh, you know, Wanda, you know, an an incredibly powerful character trying to deal with the trauma by creating her own reality, sort of a Truman show situation uh, rather than a conventional. There is a big bad, you know, that we have to punch uh, to to save the day. So it's entirely possible. This is an entirely new sort of situation. Very
1: true. I think either would be interesting. Uh, the you know this being something new would clearly be something completely different than the MCU has done in the past. I think one of the uh, I've been reading a lot of chatter online with people thinking that there is going to be a big bad. So it's a lot of it is the MCU fans thinking that there's sort of something nefarious behind it. But if it's just Wanda and if it's her really coping with the tragic loss of uh, Vision, then I'm down for that as well. Uh, I mean, clearly based off of this episode by itself, it's really interesting character work that all of the actors are doing. Uh, I also, I want to give a shout out as we start wrapping things up, just to Deborah Jo Rupp. She's a sitcom veteran and, and she was fantastic as Mrs. Hart. So I just wanted to give a little shout out. To Professor, it seems like you were going to say something.
3: I was. Uh, you know, you're mentioning the idea that if, if it was just, you know, um, wanted to try and deal with her trauma, you know, that's, that's different ways of uh, telling things. What if her way of dealing with trauma makes her the big bet? What if she is creating a reality that imposes on our reality? You know, we don't know the extent of her powers. You know, this could just be that she is trying to deal with her trauma, trying to deal with what she's gone through. But if that has a negative impact on us, she could become the big bad. Not because she's a bad or evil, just because that is her power. That is true. Yeah. I mean, in essence, she could have...
1: Um, hypothetically speaking, she could have created a pocket dimension thinking that everything would be safe just in this pocket dimension. But if uh, the dimension, in essence, starts seeping into, quote unquote, our world, that could become a problem. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's another interesting way to, to take it, because in essence, she would be doing something bad, but not necessarily really realizing it, per se we'll have to wait and see. So uh, before we start wrapping things up, was there anything that I missed, a teeny tiny little moment. Priscilla, would you like to dissect 30 seconds of screen time like the professor did? Was is there anything that anybody wants to discuss before we head into the MVP?
2: Just one thing that um it's a it's a throwaway moment, but I thought it was really cute when um uh when he picks up the meat hammer, the meat tenderizer thing, like, like you picked up Thor's hammer. I thought that was really cute.
1: Oh, ah, look at that. That was awesome. Yeah. It, it, just the entire, it was just the, the just the lunacy of the, of what was going on just in the kitchen and keeping the hearts out was fantastic. Very sitcom once again, but very cute as well. And the fact that they're having breakfast for dinner. Very European. Except for the Bolsheviks. Alright, so now it is time to uh, give our MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Alright, let's see who should go first. Let's start off with Priscilla. Ladies first.
2: Yay, thank you. I get to pick my favorite character, Agnes. I loved her this this episode. I loved how just she add she added a breath of life to this episode. She made Scarlet Witch just have some sort of more housewifely, just more charming energy about her and added some Lunacy to the whole dinner party by adding some more ingredients to the mix and just made things peppy and fun. And even if, again, even if she isn't anything to the Marvel MCU, which I doubt because this is Marvel and they have to have references to comics and everything. So she's going to be something. I know it. But even if she isn't, I love the character and I'm happy to see more from her in the future.
1: A very good choice. I feel like the professor would not disagree with that. But Professor, who's your MVP?
3: Uh, I'm going to choose uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Um, I'm—I I was never that big a fan of Elizabeth Olsen. If you count up her, you know, total amount of screen time in the MCU, it's apparently less than 20 minutes. So we hadn't been exposed to her that much. But I thought she was really, really good in this episode, like playing a 1950s character. um, But as you mentioned, Jeff, you know, in that scene with Vision at the uh, the dinner table, she sort of snapped back to her MCU uh, Wanda Maximoff character. Um, I thought she played it really well. You know, she was totally she seemed to be enjoying herself and, and having a lot of fun with the character. But there was still that that level of depth. And when they're sitting at the table, her staring off into the distance she didn't have to say anything, but you got the sense that whatever was going on behind her eyes was really important, and I thought she played that really, really well. Fantastic
1: choice. I'm going
3: to give it, because both of you picked
1: actually my top two, I'm going to give it to, it'll give me the chance to pick Ms. Hart, Deborah Jo Rupp, playing, in essence, a sitcom trope, the boss's wife, sort of like the irascible boss's wife, the, the nosy boss's wife, but, uh, Playing her really well and, and uh, striking a really interesting tone with uh, Stop It. You know, going from comedic to doting wife to looking very nervous and, and looking very scared towards the end of it. And then immediately, with a snap, switching back to the sitcom trope. I thought she did a really great job. And, and I love that they had uh, a, a sitcom veteran in the mix for this, uh, you know, 1950s uh, sitcom homage. So, uh, yeah. All right. And uh, now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 televisions? The point system is allowed. And if you found uh, the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden television. So, Let's start off with The Professor.
3: You know, I have to split my vote uh, my here. If you are an MCU fan, this is a solid 9 out of 10. Because you know the characters, you know the backstory, you have all of the ne- information necessary to understand the little Easter eggs and, and subtle hints and everything like that. If you are not an MCU fan, this is 3 out of 10. I can't imagine someone who is not already a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe understanding or caring at all about this episode so for me personally as an MCU fan 9 out of 10 loved it can't wait to see the next episode but if you weren't a new fan I can't imagine you wanting to watch the next episode
1: well there is that Priscilla what about you how would you rate this episode
2: um I'd give it an 8 out of 10, giving it room to grow, but still, like, acceptable, passable, this episode. I I, kind of feel the same way my dad did about this episode, that, like, I want more action. I want more magic. I want more mayhem and mystery to this. Like, I want to see more fight scenes, more, like, more passion in this than just like that and this is this was a classic kitschy sitcom so i'm not gonna get that so i i think i'm gonna have to wait a little bit longer until i get scenes like that in this tv series so an eight for now okay more more more. could i suggest
3: you take your dad back and show him the cock and balls during the commercial oh my god (laughs) Seriously, go back and watch it. You will not be able to see it again without realizing, oh, my God. I'm disturbed already. Okay, so I am going to
1: split it in half, and I will give it an 8.5. Yeah, we had an 8 and a a 9. I'll give it an 8.5. I thought it was a good premiere, a beautiful homage to 1950s television. I thought the setup was really interesting, and uh, I liked the the subtle, um, the the subtle just the subtle subtleness, for lack of a better word, of uh, you know the menace that's to come. I'm glad that we only had a bit of a taste of, uh, of um, you know, maybe what's really going on or whatever you want to call it in this episode. I'm glad that they did it basically 99% uh, classic sitcom, introducing the tropes, introducing our MCU characters into this world and then just giving us a couple little things, the red uh, flashing light on the toaster, the dinner table scene, and then the camera panning out and showing us someone taking notes. I mean, I feel like that's all we needed in this first episode. I am, though, glad that they gave us the second episode, because I really feel like the second episode really um, um, hooks you in, at least if, if you like this kind of stuff. Uh, but for the first episode, I-, I thought it was a really good uh, introduction to this world. So an eight and a half for me. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Avengers Initiative, Division. Here's our answer to remind you on how you can interact with us.
0: Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Avengers Initiative, WandaVision and subscribe.
1: Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Priscilla.
2: Good night, everybody.
1: And the professor. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Avengers Initiative, WandaVision, every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Good night.